0: 18 plus. You.
1: KFI AM 640. You have Doctor Wendy Walsh with you. This is the Doctor Wendy Walsh Show. I want you to sit back because in the next two hours, I am going to talk about our relationships and not only our intimate romantic relationships. But what happens when we get into a relationship with somebody who's damaged, whether that is our personal relationship or whether it is a leader? Yeah, I said it. There are so many similarities between the manipulation, the uh, ways that President Donald Trump seduced a kind of lover. And it's so similar to how malignant narcissists in romantic relationships, and I'm gonna make a comparison so that we can understand the psychological dynamics of the pain that our country is experiencing. This is not a blame the Trump voter show. I wanna make this very clear. This is so that we can have some understanding with all of us in this country, our divided relationship. There's some basic psychological principles that I wanna talk about. Before we get to it though, let us do our roll call. Zach, do we have you there on the board? Absolutely, how are you doing? Good, how are you Zach? Fantastic. Are you staying safe, Absolutely. quarantined? Oh yes. <laughs> Good, Claudette. you're in the newsroom.
2: Hi, Dr. Wendy, I am, how are you? I-
1: Good. Well, lonely. So I'm glad you're here. You know, I'm I'm here at my kitchen table, just one 17-year-old in her bedroom looking at TikTok all day long. We're together, uh, Dr.
2: Wendy. Don't worry. Just (laughs) at a distance.
1: Exactly. We're here. And do we have Kayla or Morgan? Do we have either producer on mic today? Yeah. Hey, it's Morgan. I'm here. And I think Kayla's producing from home. Ah, hi, Kayla, if you can hear us. I know we don't (laughs) have you on mic. Hi, Morgan. How have you been holding up? I'm doing good. I'm kind of tired of being in my house again, you know. Everybody is. You know, a friend of mine called me today. She was driving to Santa Barbara just to get out and look at the ocean, not even to socialize because she just couldn't stand just walking around her own neighborhood. Like she said, all I've been doing is cooking and walking my dog, cooking, walking my dog and working of course from home as we all are. So sometimes we really just need a change of scenery. So I do recommend that people go for a drive in their car and just look at other people's neighborhoods. (laughs) It can make you feel better. Um, Well, we're here. We have reached, maybe not the peak, but we've definitely hit the winter rise in cases of COVID. You know, way back in the summer, I looked at that graph. I'm sure many people saw the graphic that was sent around social media. Um, And Zach, don't forget to give me my timing because, you know, I talk and talk and talk and then I forget. And before you know it, so make sure you let me know. Um, And uh, the graph compared... The 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, which started exactly at the same time as ours did in March of 1918 or 19. Someone's gonna have to correct me on social media if I said it wrong. And then there was sort of the case number went down throughout the summer as people were outside and social distancing. And then they spiked so high through the winter. And during that pandemic, you know, everybody on the planet Earth either got the Spanish flu and died or got the Spanish flu and lived because there was no vaccine. We have hope. We know that if we can stay in our little caves, hoveled in our little caves for long enough, we can have this vaccine. We have two on the market now. I hear tell that there are a couple more coming on the market. But I want you to know the numbers are reflecting exactly what happened with the Spanish flu. In Los Angeles alone yesterday, 221 people died, 221 people died of COVID. All told, we have more than 12,000 in LA. Also this week, the positivity rate, so about 80,000 people in LA went out and got COVID tests and the average positive testing was over 20%. So. 80,000 I think is a strong enough number to generalize around the population. So basically that means that of all the people you run into walking past while you're running in the grocery store, in Home Depot, in Costco, wherever, you can assume that two out of 10 are infectious. That's how real this is right now. So why is the traffic so heavy? Remember in March when the animals and birds took over and the sky got blue? and we had a much lower case rate than now, it's because we're all suffering from quarantine fatigue. I think many people are saying, well, I know a lot of people who've had COVID now and they survived. So maybe my chances of surviving are high. Um, Or they're saying, I don't know anybody who died of COVID. Or they're saying our uh, way of treating it has gotten so much better than it was last March. So these are all the ways we rationalize. You know what? If I gave you a jar of 80,000 jelly beans and said that only 16,000 had COVID, would you eat even one jelly bean? Look, let's talk about death rates. If I gave you a jar of jelly beans with 100 jelly beans in it and told you it's okay, they're all absolutely safe, oh, there's one that could kill you, but the other 99 are fine, would you eat even one jelly bean? We have to get serious, folks. We have to remember. I'm here to raise your anxiety again. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 I absolutely am. I want to talk also later in the show. I'm going to have two long segments about the attack on Washington. Our country is divided. Our country is being fed two separate different sets of information. I want you to know that people who felt that they had no voice in the past were finally given a voice. And tragically, with this last election, that voice was taken away. That's why we need to listen to them, or there will be more storming um, monuments or or the the uh, Capitol. But I do want to talk about our relationships with our leaders and how they become part of our identity. We'll be talking about that later in the show. Also, there are rumors everywhere. If you are like me and you're all over the internet, especially TikTok lately. Uh, rumors that Kim K and Kanye are divorcing, but these are rumors. Okay. You know what? I looked at sort of the trajectory of their relationship. And when we come back, I want to talk about the signs that the rumors might be right. Mm, And I'd also want you to compare it to your own relationship. Are you showing signs that you might divorce kind of like the Kardashian West? We'll see. You are listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app.
0: What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more.
1: KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. This is The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. By the way, you can follow me online anywhere at Dr. Wendy Walsh. If you follow me on Instagram uh, on the break, I look at my Instagram account and if I follow you back, I will give you a shout out on air. But I know where you are now, you're all on TikTok. I've mentioned it a few times because I'm new to TikTok and I don't know how I have 28,000 followers in like two weeks, it's like they just came out of nowhere. Uh, So I give lots of relationship advice advice on TikTok, so if you wanna follow me on TikTok, you can too. And before we get into uh, the topic at hand, this is quarantine iHeart Media is back into giving a small business shout out to any small business who needs a little bit of a boost, free advertising right now. And uh, our new producer, Kayla Austin, presented a great company to me. It's called Chef Beans Cafe. I know, it sounds like a coffee shop, doesn't it? But it's not. It's a clothing company, and on their t-shirts, hats, and hoodies, it has the words, oh, and face masks, be uh, be intentional. And it's reminding people that we all have to be intentional in everything we do, in what we consume, in the books we read, in the conversations we have. And so every article of clothing uh, also provides a meal for someone experiencing homelessness. Isn't this great? It's a double give. You get a really cool sweatshirt or T-shirt and then a meal for somebody who needs it. You go to chefbeans.com. That's chef, C-H-E-F-B-E-A-N-Z. B-E-A-N-Z. I almost said Z because I'm Canadian, right? Mm-hmm. Chefbeans.com. On Instagram, chef underscore beans. Uh, they deliver all throughout California and nationwide. So, that's our small business. Shout out. Check them out. Okay. That is said. So, my 17 year old last night, we were walking out to get our takeout for dinner. I mostly cook, folks, okay? But, you know, a few nights a week, I'm like, let's just go get some takeout. And she says, Mom, do you know that Kim Kardashian is getting divorced? That's her way of saying it. Of course, I go and into a deep Google and find out that it's rumors at this point. And the rumor mill has gone crazy with stuff that's not true. I'm going to throw out the stuff that I believe is not true right away because it's just so wild. There is a famous online makeup artist, well, he's in the real world, uh, but he's very famous online as well, uh, makeup artist named Jeffree Star. And he happens to be in Jackson, Wyoming. And Kanye West happens to be in Jackson, Wyoming. And so the gossip mill online has somehow shipped them. That's a short form for relationship to them and says that Kanye is having an affair. I don't think this is true at all by any means. It's just a rumor. Uh, But there have been signs. Like do you ever notice like, you know, a couple's getting divorced long before they announce it. And sometimes long before they even know they're getting a divorce. There are all these signs, right? And I'm seeing these signs with uh, Kim and Kanye, Kim Kanye, Kardashian West. Uh, So Kim and Kanye began their relationship way back in 2011. They got married three years later. They have four children. Now she only, I think, carried one. Um, They had rented wombs for some of the others, why not? Um, North is seven, Saint is five, Chicago is two, And Psalm is just 19 months. So we know that they're one of the most, probably the most famous couple in the world. And so what we do know, we do know that Kanye has been very open about his mental health issues. He's been apparently diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, Kim has been very supportive. If you haven't seen the interview with him on the David Letterman show on Netflix, uh, this guest needs no introduction, that show You can see when the camera catches Kim in the audience, such deep love, authentic love for him. And he talks very candidly about his mental health stuff. So, the first sign that a couple is getting divorced is, of course, when they start saying things, bad things about their spouse. Now, Kanye, you can kind of give him a pass because she's even said, hey, we want some privacy because he's suffering. But... He's made some public outbursts, controversial tweets about his family. Uh, he's even said things like he wanted Kim to have an abortion. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, but again, in his case, we can give him a pass for some of that because that could have happened during a state of mania. But the big sign is absence from social media. I have some friends that divorce a few years ago and i noticed that in the 3 or 4 months before she even announced that she was leaving before she even knew she was leaving, like the husband wasn't in any pictures anymore and that's what's happening with kim's instagram um the last photo that she shared was in november and that was a throwback photo of her and kanye and then on another slide in the instagram post she put a poem that he'd written for her back for her 30th birthday i think she's 39 now or something So basically, I think she was saying to him, remember who we were. Remember that you loved me. Anyway, since November, all the way through the holidays, he's disappeared from her social media. The rumor is he has been living in Wyoming for a few months. She is in California with the kids. So maybe they are actually separated or maybe they're just trying a trial separation. And there's rumors that she has a lawyer in the wings. Well, of course, they all have to have lots of lawyers. Anyway, it's rumors at this point, but sometimes people give little hints that they are getting divorced long before they do. Hey, have you been working on any New Year's resolutions? When we come back, I want to break down the psychology of change because I know you can change a habit. You just need to understand how. You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640, and we're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM 640. This is Dr. Wendy Walsh. You have the Dr. Wendy Walsh show here. And before we get to your New Year's resolutions, can we talk about reducing stress? I have a funny story to tell you. So uh, during COVID, I have not been eating as well as my doctors would like. I have been exercising less, but my blood work more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting.
0: Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Got better. I had to analyze that. What changed in my life? It was my interaction with the environment. I wasn't driving as much, dealing with all the stress on the freeways. I wasn't like, you know, having to rush, rush, rush to all my very many jobs. And so I wanted to invite a guest on who understands uh, intrinsically the connection between our minds and our environment. And the guest I would like to welcome is Dr. Caroline Leaf. Hi, Dr. Leaf. How are you?
2: Hi, Dr. Wendy. I'm so good.
1: Thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Now, you are a cognitive neuroscientist. You people may have read her books. She has books called Switch on Your Brain, Think, Learn, Succeed, Think and Eat Yourself Smart. I need to be doing more of that. Um, And your newest book is called 101 Ways to Be Less Stressed. Okay, I only need a few, but am I right? Did you hear my story that
2: just by getting off the
1: freeways, I got healthier?
2: I I did. And I thought that was such a great thing that you said, because we we live in a world of hurry sickness. And one of the things that COVID has definitely changed in our lives is that we slow down and we have more time to think deeply. And, you know, I'm so glad you said what you said. Because our mind is 90%, 90 to 90% of who we, 90 to 99% of who we are, and if we are calmer and quieter and not in hurry sickness and, as you said, zooming from job to job and just constantly caught up in in all those stresses when we slow down and we give our mind a chance to actually work like it should, our body will respond accordingly. And that's what you've experienced. That's why your blood work was better. So that was a great story that you told.
1: Yeah. And my doctor so couldn't scientific. believe it. And she's like, she had me on the keto. My cardiologist has me on the keto diet and we would watch my numbers every 90 days. And, and she would, I would have so much stress about what I was putting in my mouth all the time. And oh, when I threw caution to the wind and decided to just be happy now, I still eat a healthy diet that's mostly fruits and vegetables and protein. It's not like I suddenly carbo loaded, but I'm not getting mad at myself
2: for the odd little piece of bread, right? Oh, I'm so glad you said that. That's that's, that's more important than anything else is actually how we manage our mind. And that's really what all my work is about is, might can do all the diets, as you said, all the keto, I do it too. You can get so caught up in the numbers, so caught up in the regimens that you actually aren't relaxed. And then when your mind's not relaxed, immediately within milliseconds, your blood work, your brain, everything is responding negatively. And, you know, when you calm down, as you experience, your blood work changes, your brain changes, everything about you physically changes. And people don't realize this. Mind is so malleable and mind needs to be managed. And mind is everything. It's the first cause. And if we don't manage our mind, we can do all the numbers and all the exercise and all the diets and our numbers will go, our blood will go crazy and our body will go crazy. Now, we don't have
1: (laughs) time for you to tell me 101 ways to be less stressed, but could you give us a few?
2: Well, the first thing that is, Wendy, for me is the most important is is basically mind management. So it's self-regulating what you're thinking, feeling, and choosing. And interestingly enough, we see from neuroscience and mind-brain research that we can actually do that every 10 seconds. So, And I know that sounds like a tall order, but we literally are able to manage our minds, and it, our minds are malleable. So if we, if we become more self-regulated, it means that we literally must stand back and observe ourselves. And say, so, okay, what am I thinking, feeling, and choosing in this moment in response to the conversation I'm having, to the uh, decision I'm about to make about work or the decision about food or exercise? It's managing the mind behind whatever it is that you're doing is the most important over overarching technique.
1: You know and what happened, thinking- Dr. Leaf? When you just said that, the ten second check-in, the first thought I had is, well, that sounds impractical. And then I thought, well, pay attention what what's going right on? Just focus on exactly what she's saying and nothing else. And I felt my brain relax like a muscle relaxing.
2: That's fantastic, and that's that's exactly what happens because your brain will just do what your body tells it to. What your mind, sorry, your brain will do what your mind tells it to do. So if you are self-regulating, and you know you're not going to count every ten seconds, but it just means that you're becoming much more aware because Mm -hmm. your non-conscious mind and your body know what's coming are are away before your conscious mind is away so all we're doing is training ourselves to use our mind to train our mind to be more disciplined and to be more self-regulated to watch yourself to literally stand back and say okay you know breathe differently what are you how are you responding what's the look on your face what are you saying to that person how they responding to you what are you about to do is this the best way so it's having this constant internal dialogue is actually very very calming it, it actually we see from the brain research that your brain will see a much more balanced um, brain wave activity between all the different brain alpha beta gamma delta beta etc you'll get a nice flow that'll calm you down i mean you can throw in some what i call the 10 second pause breathing if you want another technique is as you go through life we can get so um hassled by just the little things as we've already discussed and self-regulation is number one. But what you can do to calm down the neurochemical chaos, in, in addition to self-regulation, is what I call the 10-second pause. So once again, the 10-second thing, and that you breathe in for three, and you breathe out for seven, and you, and that 10 seconds that breathing out for longer than breathing in increases your decision-making capability and slows you down. Uh, it, this calms down the neurochemical chaos from the events of life. And the, if you do that uh, two or three or four or six times that breathing and then get self-regulated, you can start managing the next moment because you can't control the events and circumstances, but you can control your reactions. So you know, I do that.
1: I do that ten-second breath with my students. I teach health psychology, and we do it in class. I do exactly. in in for three, hold for three, out for five, something like that, and. Yes. It just opens up their brain and they relax. So a lot of people are under stress. We don't have a lot of time, of course. We have the stress of radio time right now. Um, I just have one pressing question I want the answer to. A lot of people have suppressed their anxiety about COVID and they're going out there with abandon. The stores are crowded. The traffic is crowded. Is that a healthier way to behave or to stay home and quarantine and worry about? Well, I guess if you stay home, you you
2: don't worry about it, right? Like, what are we supposed to well, do? I think you are. People are worrying whether they're home or whether they're out. I think we have to be practical. We 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 get out, but we wear our masks. You know, so it's wear our masks, do the social distancing. Follow what the the science is telling us. And, you know, then you can still go. And, you you know, wearing a mask is so effective. And social distancing is effective. And then we can still lead our lives in a way that, you know, we we need that contact. We need that socialization. But we all need to be more careful and more aware. And I think that's what this has, COVID has done. But staying at home and worrying uh, is is worse than actually going out and worrying. Right. Worrying is not going to help. So it's follow what we know
1: guidelines. And trust those guidelines. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Caroline Leaf, her new book is called 101 Ways to Be Less Stressed, Simple Self-Care Strategies to Boost Your Mind, Mood, and Mental Health. You want to go online and get that book, 101 Ways to Be Less Stressed. Thank you, Dr. Leaf. So nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. When we come back, let's get to your New Year's resolutions. Are you trying to make some change? Because I know how you can change a habit and make it actually stick. Let's talk about this when we come back. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh show on KFI AM 640.
0: Oh, help me, please, doctor. I'm a damaged. There's a pain where there once was a hard...
1: KFI AM 640 you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Look, uh The beginning of the year is when people try to change something about their life. We call it New Year's resolution. It can happen at any time of your life where you just want to change a habit. We like, you know, starting it at the beginning of the calendar. And I know you've heard that like 90% of New Year's resolutions have been thrown out the window by February 1st. But I want to tell you it's because most of the advice you've been given on behavioral change has been wrong. Like the advice that you just have to be highly motivated. You know, I've been highly motivated to do all kinds of things differently in my life. And just that knowledge hasn't helped me. In fact, if anything, when I fail, it makes me feel bad and I do more of the bad stuff. The other bit of advice is you have to have lots of willpower. As if willpower is going to be the thing that changes you. The truth is, most of our behaviors are pretty darn automatic. We're not thinking about them that much. In fact, what Dr. Leaf said in the last segment was so interesting is that if we could just step step back and watch our thoughts, just take a moment and say, "What, what critical voice was implanted in our head right now? Get out of there. We don't need to think negativity, right? And so, if we can stop and get out of our automatic processing. You know, to change a habit can take a really long time. I mean, the research shows anywhere from 18 days to 254 days. Apparently, the most common length of time it takes to form a completely new habit is about 66 days. That's more than two months. But after two months, the behavior becomes automatic. And you don't need motivation, willpower, or anything anymore after that, because that's the new automatic behavior. But I want you to understand that every behavior we have is the brain in what's called a three step loop. Now stay with me. The first step is a cue. There's something that cues the behavior. Um, It's a trigger that tells your brain that it's time to go into automatic mode. For instance, when I wake up in the morning, the first cue I get is just open eyes And my brain goes into I need coffee. I need to make coffee. The truth is, I have been in places on camping trips where you know you had to build a fire and boil something, and coffee took hours to come. And I was no worse for wear. I'm really not addicted to caffeine. I just think I am. It's a habit, right? So that's the cue. And then there's the routine: physical, mental, emotional. You're gonna do that habit. And finally there's a reward. And that's where your brain figures out that if they stay in this particular loop, they'll remember it for the future. So over time, cue, routine, reward. Cue, routine, reward becomes totally automatic. So when a habit emerges, the brain stops participating in decision-making. It stops work. It just tries to do the easy route out. So if you are trying to change a habit, You need to actually make a decision over and over again. For instance, one technique when people, um, I have a friend who's a, a hypnotherapist and she has great success with people who are quitting smoking and vaping. And one of her bits of advice is that you have to rearrange all the furniture in your house. Because she's learned that people come into their house, they sit in their favorite chair, they turn to their favorite ashtray, they light up their favorite cigarette, and they haven't even had a thought. It's just been automatic. But now if they're tripping over the coffee table because it's in the wrong spot, it makes them stop and go, wait, what am I doing? Oh yeah, I'm not going to have a cigarette. right?" So just changing the schema of your house can help. Here's some advice for keeping your New Year's resolution. First of all, only focus on one goal at a time. Don't just say, I'm going to lose weight. That's a crazy New Year's resolution. How about saying, I'm going to introduce more fruits and vegetables into my diet and I'm going to do five servings a day. Instead of, I got to get on the scale, I got to count, I got to count calories, I got to count fat, I got to count carbs, I got to, forget that. Just say that one thing. The other really great way to change behavior is to create friction for bad behaviors that you want to eliminate and create a smooth sailing for good behavior. So for instance, let's say you get addicted to TikTok. I'm not saying I am, just saying I'm new to it. Okay. I swipe and I blink and before I know an hour has gone by and it felt like five minutes. So maybe what I would do, or let's say you're addicted to social media is you would put pretty confusing passwords onto your computer in some way, or you would put your phone away in a place that would make it hard to get to. So you'd have to stop and think about it. Do I really want to reach for my phone right now? Create friction. If you want to increase a good behavior, you want to make it easier. I was listening to a podcast over the weekend and this uh, behavioral psychologist was saying that she wanted to take up an early morning running program and she would kept hitting that alarm off. and alarm. So she decided to start sleeping in her running clothes Literally sleep. And she put her shoes right beside the bed. So there was no excuses, right? There's been research to show that the number one thing that keeps people going to the gym, for instance, well, we don't have gyms open right now, but if we did is proximity. That as soon as you get even more than walking distance and you have to get in your car, there's another friction. If you have to drive a mile, it's another friction. If you have to park far away. So the easier it is, the better. And finally, I want to give you one little bit of advice. Piggyback A good habit on top of another good habit. So, for instance, I always forget to take my vitamins in the morning, but I never forget to take my coffee in the morning. So, now before I go to bed, I put my little bowl of vitamins in my coffee cup. So, when I go to pour, I look and they're going to be all wet if I don't take them first. So, I piggybacked one habit on top of another. You got this. I'm with you. All right. When we come back, let us get into love. Have you ever wondered why people actually fall in love with somebody who's a narcissist, who has narcissistic personality disorder? Actually, you'll be surprised. It's really easy to do. They are very seductive. I'm going to explain why we do this when we come back. You are listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen The Bride and Groom? MIDI clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. Ninety-one percent of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
2: And
0: hi, Amy.
1: Or do you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you? This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. You know, the most searched term on a Psychology Today website is dating a narcissist or how to break up with a narcissist or why do we fall in love with narcissists? It feels like on their homepage every single week, there's some new way to talk about this phenomenon because it's real. Because people with narcissistic personality disorder are so seductive. And plenty of people get into relationships with them. And narcissism knows no gender, by the way. They get in relationships with them and it turns so bad. They lose their identity. And the reason why I want to talk about relationships with narcissists in our most intimate personal relationships is because for many people, who were involved in the violence or the protests at the Capitol. They unknowingly were in a kind of traumatic bond with their leader. I mean, not all the people that were there were extremists or violent people. Many of them were good people and, in their words, just wanted to help President Trump. How did, you know, sweet moms and good Christians from different states end up in a place like that. Well, let's talk about, first of all, how they fell in love with the man that, you know, I can honestly say I have never evaluated, (laughs) but if you go through the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and you look at all the criteria for a narcissistic personality disorder, well, it will shape a picture of somebody who might come to mind Narcissists are easy to fall in love with because they're immensely charming. You know they have uh, power, intelligence, sometimes good looks, a sense of humor, charm, liveliness. They're fun. They often have prestige because they're easy, they work the way up the ladder, and all these things can be really appealing if you're looking for a romantic partner. And the other thing that narcissists do so well is they make, at the beginning, their partners feel so special. When a narcissist picks you, you feel wanted. You feel chosen. And this can feel very intoxicating. And I want to remind you, there's a huge group of people in our country who have been without a voice for a very long time They have been blue-collar workers who did not benefit from globalism they are living in rural areas where farming is not as you know is losing its path as a way to make a living for your family. These are good hard-working Americans who aren't sitting at a keyboard making an app, They want to work and nobody's listening to them. So, when a Donald Trump comes along with his charm and his humor, and more than anything, his anti-political correctness, because remember, we have been changing as a country socially so fast and cancel culture is a thing. If you say the wrong thing, you can be canceled. And not everybody's at the same level of information, of education, of understanding. And I'm certainly not top of the heap. I've made mistakes in language. And it hurts when people say, you can't say that, right? And so we see this population of people who have been left without a voice, who are told that they're stupid, who are told they don't understand progress and change. And here comes this. Blonde man, kind of blonde, reddish, orangey, uh, with good humor and charm and fun and prestige. And he picked them. He made them feel special. Another reason why people fall in love with narcissists, and I don't mean to say this about every single person, certainly who voted for Donald Trump, uh, but if you are in a relationship with a narcissist in your personal life, um, is that. So often people were raised by narcissists themselves. And so they repeat this familiar pattern. They unconsciously find somebody who reminds them of their own trauma early in life. This is what we do. You know, our, our idea of love gets formed in the first few years. And then we go out into our adult romantic life and we try to f- find somebody who will behave in a familiar way. Even if that familiar love is filled with pain or longing or criticism or loss or abuse, or violence. That's normal to us, and we will prefer that. Also, people like structures. You know, if the alternative in their mind is chaos, people will always prefer a dictator. Because for many people, too much freedom can be scary. And we're talking politics here for a moment. An example might be what happened in Singapore. So for 31 years, the Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew encouraged people to uphold the family system, discipline their children, be more courteous, avoid pornography. Uh, He even set up a government dating service for single graduates. He urged people to take better aim at public toilets. He made chewing gum illegal. And people in Singapore tolerated all these restrictions to their freedom because they wanted economic security more. And it felt safe. Structure feels safe. So, if you're in a personal relationship with a narcissist and they're a little bit dominating and they have very clear boundaries about where you're allowed to go and who you're allowed to talk to, a piece of you often feels safe. So much better than not knowing and chaos. The other thing narcissists love to do, and they do this very well, is they act like protectors even though they're not. And they do this by creating and defeating what they call common enemies. So in our personal intimate relationships, a narcissist uh, might say, uh, they're saving you from your bad family of origin, or they're saving you from all the other guys you dated, those bad guys. They're the good guys, right? Donald Trump saved his voters from the liberal media, the political correctness, the deep state. Both dictators and narcissistic boyfriends and girlfriends feed on external threats because that justifies their existence. And how do they maintain their control? They control the free flow of information. If you're in an abusive relationship with a narcissist, they control who you get to talk to, sometimes even cutting you off from your own family members or close friends, and they always have good reasons of why you can't call that girlfriend, why you can't be with your sister. With narcissistic leaders, they slam some media outlets and enliven those that speak their lies. This is how they control the relationship. And narcissists often justify themselves by aligning with existing institutions. So narcissistic dictators build buildings with their name on them. They erect statues in their honor. They get the church on their side. In personal relationships, they use existing institutions to show that they are powerful. Your narcissistic partner, lover, maybe an educator, a judge, a pastor, a doctor, they use institutions to ingratiate themselves. So in the same way that Donald Trump's buildings bearing his name, uh, you also know people who have offices plastered with framed degrees or rooms full of trophies or religious icons everywhere. It's the same thing. When we come back, I want to talk about how you can get yourself free from the narcissist you are in a relationship with. It is not easy. But I have some tender advice for you. You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. (music) KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. You are welcome to follow me online at Dr. Wendy Walsh, that's all across the social media platforms. Uh, before we get into it, I do want to give another small business shout out, this one to Grub Market. I have been a customer for, oh gosh, about 10 years. The Farmer's Market to Your Door. It is farm-to-table food delivered. In my case, I get a box every single week. It's organic. It's locally sourced food and produce. I get everything, fruits, vegetables, meats, olive oils, everything. Grub Market is committed to providing you with the best grocery experience possible. And I can attest to this. The prices are way cheaper than a grocery store. I actually took my box one time to a well-known grocery store and I weighed everything and compared it to the prices on the rack and I saved about 40%. So just letting you know, grubmarket.com is where you can go. All right. Um, Question. Are you in a relationship with a narcissist? Are you asking yourself, well, I don't know if they're really a narcissist or not. So why don't I just go through what the symptoms are? One is diagnosed to have a narcissistic personality disorder if they have at least five of the following. There are nine. Get ready. One, has a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements and talents. Two, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance. Three, believes that he or she is special and unique four, requires excessive admiration. Five, has a sense of entitlement, unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance. Six, and this is the big one, is interpersonally exploitive, takes advantage of others to achieve his or her ends. Seven, Lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feeling and needs of others. Eight, is often envious of others and believes that others are envious of him or her. And nine, shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Only need to have five of those to be diagnosed with a narcissistic personality disorder. I didn't make this up. You might have compared it to our current leader or it may be somebody you're dating or somebody you're married to. No matter what, their big performance personality on the outside can be very seductive. So when you try to break up with this person, it's going to be difficult. Get ready for an identity crisis. You know, when we lose any relationship, we lose part of our identity. That's why we're sad and lonely after any kind of breakup. But in particular, a breakup with a narcissist, because they've called all the shots. You don't even remember who you were anymore when you're a relation in a relationship with a narcissist. You also have to understand you're going to have to tolerate what's called cognitive dissonance. That means you do things and you allow things that you wouldn't have imagined before you met this person. And so what happens is you start to feel shame and your self-esteem declines. And you wonder what happened to that happy, self-respecting, confident person you were before you met that person. And I'm here to tell you, you need to let go of shame. You don't even have to admit that you were wrong. This manipulation was not your fault. Trust me, these people are like a drug and they have a way of sucking you in.
2: Hey, Doctor Wendy. Questions yes. for you: Is there such thing as like a masked narcissist, where it's like you don't know from the get go who you're dealing with, and then you see- never
1: know from the get go. That's what they're so good at, because they have such a great performance personality, and that's why they're so seductive. You often don't know until you could until you're so deep into it. You quit your job, you've left your family, you've moved to another city for this person because it's so perfect. It feels so perfect, and then you realize they really didn't have empathy. They pretended to care about you. They just tried to make you feel special.
2: Do they realize they're narcissists?
1: No. Remember the belief, uh, the underbelly of all narcissism is self-loathing and they can't tolerate actually having those feelings bubble up at all, that they're bad in any way. Usually it comes from parents who told them they were bad all the time. So they had to develop this protective personality on the outside. And so anybody that reminds them even a little bit that they're a flawed human, which we are all flawed humans. We all have to walk out every single day knowing that we're not perfect. We are imperfect people, but not a narcissist. They can't tolerate that. So they don't go to therapy unless (laughs) a a judge sends them, right? Unless the court sends them. And they're really, really difficult to treat. So don't sit there thinking you can love a narcissist to death and they'll finally be able to calm down. And I do want to say something else. Don't judge yourself if it takes time. Did you know women in domestic violence relationships, usually with narcissists, um, it takes them seven times of violence before the average woman leaves. That's the average. So it takes time. Now remember this, narcissists are also codependent. They need you as much as you need them. So when you first start to distance yourself from them, They will do whatever it takes to pull you back in because they don't realize it, but they don't want to be abandoned. They will attempt to suck you back in with kindness, with charm, or with blame and guilt trips or threats or punishments or neediness or promises or pleas. They will do whatever it takes to control you so they can win you back.
0: Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
1: So what do you do? You have to create a life aside from your relationship with this person. Foster your relationship with friends, your hobby, your work, other interests. Get busy reshaping your identity. Remember, our identities are partly based on all the relationships we have with people. And you've got to build your self-esteem learn to value yourself, honor your needs, your feelings. You deserve to be truly loved and learn how to set boundaries. And yes, block them on social media. Yes, change your phone number if you have to. Set boundaries. And also nurture yourself. You know what? This person made you feel so special and now it's time for you to make yourself feel special because you really, really do deserve it. So whether it's your personal relationship with a lover or whether it's your relationship with a leader, and all political leaders have some degree of narcissism, maybe not malignant narcissism, sometimes we have to work to stay separate psychologically. One way that you might be able to do that for those of you who are bent that way, is through religion. When we come back, there's new research on the psychological benefits of religion. You gotta hear this. A-F-I-A-M-6-40. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Can we talk religion? Like I'm talking about all the hot topics tonight, right? Politics, religion, next it'll be sex. It actually is going to be sex. Um, <laughs> you know, I go there. I've spent my entire life asking the question, why? Why do people do what they do? Why are people protective? Why are relationships that way? And um, if you haven't listened to my podcast, Mating Matters, we actually do have an entire episode on religion, the evolution of religion. It's all evolutionary psychology. Mating Matters is wherever you get your podcasts. And that particular episode is called The God Who Clubs. I should tell you that we've long known, we being scientists and social scientists uh, and psychologists, that religion is good for your health. Here's why. It gives you all kinds of social support. It gives you a community, right? Also, all religions are good for your physical health because they tend to support clean living, right? Most religions don't preach sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They preach, uh, you know, abstaining from alcohol, eating healthy, sleeping, exercising, etc. cetera. Religions in their doctrine also tend to support intact families and long-term monogamy. And there's lots of research to show that long-term monogamy is good for your health as well, that it lowers your cortisol levels, your stress hormone levels, and it raises your dopamine levels, um, your feel-good hormone levels. Also, I love this one. All religions have some form of chanting as a form of meditation and relaxation. Whether you're saying, um, or whether you're saying the Hail Mary over and over, It's a way to calm your anxiety. You know, I believe that all humans have only one basic fear. It is the fear of dying. We come into this world as a completely vulnerable, tiny infant, dependent on giant adults for everything, food, warmth, safety. And we're born alone. And eventually, sadly, we die alone. And in between, we work hard to quell our feelings of, oh my God, I could die. Now, we do need to have that fear to keep us like driving on the right side of the road and <laughs> not drinking too much, not being too crazy, right? We Not walking too close to the edge of cliffs. We, we do need to have some fear of dying. But what religion does so well is it helps to quell this anxiety because it ties everything up with a neat little ribbon and a bow. And it says, okay, don't worry. When you die, this is what's going to happen to you. And part of the reason why some of the biggest wars that have happened on the planet have been over religion is because as soon as you challenge somebody's neat little tidy up bow, their story, they get anxious again. They want everybody to believe what they believe. And if everybody believes the same thing, then their anxiety can stay low, right? But there's been research on the emotional benefits of religion on religiosity and resilience. And you know, we're in a time right now where a lot of people are under a lot of stress. And scientists want to know, what is it about religion that helps people have this emotional strength, this kind of resiliency? So a new article was published this week in the Journal of Religion and Health. Yes, there's a whole academic journal on religion and health. And what the scientists found is that there are two common coping mechanisms that people who follow a religion are most likely to use when they are enduring stress. One is called reappraisal and the other is called coping self-efficacy. Now, let me explain. So, cognitive reappraisal, I use the term Reframing all the time. I will say to somebody, well, let's reframe that. Okay. You're saying that you missed your flight, and I'm saying you weren't meant to be on that plane because who knows? There could have been a problem on that plane you didn't know about. We're reframing the bad news. So, what cognitive repraisal is, is an attempt to reinterpret an emotional situation so that it alters its meaning and then it changes its emotional impact. For instance, people who follow a religion, when there is loss through death, maybe it's even a baby who's died, a pregnancy that didn't carry on to fruition, they will say, that's God's plan. God needed her in heaven, and I'm not meant to know God's plan. And just by reappraising it in this way, they reduce their anxiety and depression. And the other technique that people who follow a religion use is called coping self-efficacy. And what that means is the degree that someone thinks that he or she can effectively cope with hardship. Did you know if you believe that you can cope with hardship, you will be able to cope with hardship? Like our problems with stress and hardship are that we don't believe we can cope with it. We believe we're being triggered. We believe we can't handle this, right? When life's challenges come along but people who have a religious belief will say, I'm strong. I'm not alone. I've got God with me. I've got God. God's got my back in this. And those two techniques can be used whether you follow a religion or not, right? You can reframe a situation and find goodness in loss, as I say sometimes, tragically, but true. Some people even told jokes in Auschwitz, some people laughed right there were times when they reframed their situation and coping self-efficacy come on we all know that deep inside us there is a well of strength and i promise you you can get through this whatever you're going through you can get through this when we come back i have some emailed or social media message Questions from listeners on their relationships. Um, why don't I answer a few? You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Help
0: me, please, doctor. I'm damaged. There's a where was a heart. KFI AM
1: 640, it's you have Dr. Wendy Walsh. Day. We're in the home stretch of the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. And I try to leave a little time to answer some of your questions. And I know you guys are shy. You don't like to call in and talk on the radio about your private, intimate relationships. So thank you for entrusting me by sending me messages on my social media at Dr. Wendy Walsh. So I find messages on Facebook. I find them on Instagram. I find them private messages on Twitter. I don't see them all because there's a lot of stuff coming at me, but... I scroll around and sometimes I see stuff and I go, oh, we should address this. Other people might be going through that. All right. So let's start with the first one. The first listener says, hello, Dr. Wendy Walsh. I need some relationship advice. I'm going through a tough time with my ex. We broke up in 2018 because there were allegations that I was cheating. Then she left me. Since then, I've been trying so hard to get her back, but it's not easy because we only talk over the phone due to distance. A few weeks back, she texted me saying, you lost me because you didn't see my worth when we were together. Now you think you're ready to be with me and you want me back. That's not being fair to me. I love this girl, doctor, and I want her back. Please help. All right. So we have a bunch of things to unpack here. I'm going to start with, I don't have enough information about these allegations that you were cheating. It sounds like, because you used the word allegations, that you weren't physically cheating. But I'm wondering if you were emotionally cheating. In other words, all those little side chit-chat relationships on social media or somebody at work who you were a little friendly with, sometimes that can make your partner feel very uncomfortable. Because it is possible to be emotionally unfaithful when you have intimacy with somebody else outside your relationship, emotional intimacy. So I don't know, but you know, maybe there was, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire, there was a little something that was happening. Now, you say you've been trying hard to get her back, but it's not so easy because you only talk over the phone due to distance. And it sounds like it's mostly texting at this point. Um, I just want to say like, if you're not even in the same city, and this is a long distance thing, this is gonna be nearly impossible because if you do quote unquote get her back, how are you gonna see her? It's not a real relationship. You really need to be in each other's face, in each other's space. And I think she's being really clear to you. She's telling you that you didn't see what she was worth back then, and now just because you want her back, That's also not being fair to her feelings. Maybe you should spend some time inquiring about her feelings, not her feelings about you, her feelings in general. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? How's that going for you? How's this going for you? Be sensitive, be caring. Because it sounds like you're just saying, well, I want you back so you should come back because that's what I want. and. That's not going to convince anybody to come back. Um, The fact that she's at least texting you is a positive sign, but I don't feel good about this one. She's not in the same town. She's basically saying, you don't respect me or appreciate me. I don't know. But if you do anything, just show some empathy and some sensitivity to her and her feelings and just stay there in the friend zone well, you just be a good person and listen. She needs some time to talk, if she will talk to you. But thank you so much for writing. I know these are very sensitive things and it's hard. Okay. Someone else wrote to me. They said, what would you tell someone who is in a long-term relationship headed towards marriage where sex has become little to non-existent due to the woman's lack of desire? The lack of sex is causing tension in the relationship. I don't know why, but I think a guy wrote me this (laughs) and I don't think it's a fictitious or hypothetical relationship. I think somebody's engaged, somebody's marching toward the altar and the relationship is already, the passion has died down. You've probably been together a really long time. I do want to say this, that sex is never the problem. Sex is always the symptom of a problem. There's something else going on. I think last week, if you listened to my show, um, the research shows that in order to increase sexual attraction within a relationship, the best way is improving relationship dynamics. So the first thing I would say to you is, it sounds like somebody needs to not march toward an altar, but march towards couples therapy because there's something going on maybe it's just the fear of the commitment and the marriage, or maybe there's something bigger going in in the relationship. I mean, sometimes if people are angry about something that they can't express with words, it'll come out in sexuality. Their body will speak for them. They will lose their desire and been sometimes even confused about why that has happened, because maybe they're even unaware of the anger issues going on. So I would say couples therapy, put that wedding on hold, go to a couples therapist, learn good communication and also good sexual communication. Find ways to not blame your partner, but talk about how you appreciate your partner and how you want to make it work and get to the bottom of the feelings that might happen underneath. All right. If you would like to write to me, you can send messages on any of my social media. That's at dr wendy walsh at dr wendy walsh i cannot believe two hours went by already can you believe it zach morgan Claudette, where did it go i just chat like i'm having a cup of coffee with friends <sighs> okay i do a live stream every wednesday at 6 p.m on my social media whether it's youtube twitter facebook linkedin instagram i'm there live if you have relationship questions you can post them there uh, as well i'm here every Sunday from four to six. You can also listen to my podcast, mating matters wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for being with me on this Sunday.
0: Lucky land casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
1: lucky in line at the deli, I guess in my dentist's office.